0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Dear Lord God, we so do want to know you. And so we ask now that you would make yourself known to us by your word and by your spirit that we might hear you, that we might know you, that we might love you so much more, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Please keep your bulletin, turn back in your bulletin to the Hebrews reading, which we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, Please follow along with me to make sure what I'm saying is trustworthy and true. I'm not spitting out lies. Um, The overarching context and theme of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is better. He's so much better than everything and everyone in all of heaven and earth. He's so much superior than the angels. He's far greater than Moses and Joshua and Aaron. In Jesus, we also have a new and better covenant than the one God made with his people in the Old Testament when he delivered them out of slavery in Egypt and brought them into the Promised Land. In every way and in everything, Jesus is better. In chapter 12, as we come to it, the writer of this letter to the Hebrews explains how this new and better covenant we have in Jesus is cause for great praise and rejoicing. That even though it might feel like everything in your life, everything in the world is being shaken, in Jesus we are receiving a kingdom, a salvation, that can never be shaken. Let's look at this passage more closely and see what God has to say to us through it today. In verses 18 to 21, the writer establishes this negative contrast that he's making of why we have reason for praise and rejoicing. The reason being is that we have not come to God in fear, like the Israelites did under the old covenant. Look at these verses again with me, 18 to 21. For you've not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, the sound of a trumpet and a voice of Whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them? For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Through these verses, a picture is being painted of fear and great trembling. There's darkness and gloom, you may have picked it up. There's loud noises, a booming voice that is terrifying. And this terrifying picture is meant to represent the giving of the Old Covenant at Mount Sinai. It's referring to the Exodus moment in the Old Testament when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt and God rescued his people out of slavery under the Egyptians. After he had brought them out of Egypt, Moses met with God at Mount Sinai and God gave Moses and the people of Israel the Ten Commandments, establishing a new covenant with them. Well, it was an Old Covenant what we now call the Old Covenant, or the Mosaic Covenant. While the writer to the Hebrews never explicitly says this, he's setting up a contrast between this Old Covenant and the New Covenant that was established through Jesus' death and resurrection. Where the Old Covenant is represented by Mount Sinai, the New Covenant is represented by Mount Zion. The representation of this Old Covenant is very imposing, isn't it? There's this long list of how God is revealing himself to the people of Israel in very striking terms. And yet, the overall picture is that God, even though he's being revealed to Israel, is that God is hidden from them. He remains hidden from them. In verse 18, there's this visual imagery of the darkness and gloom and stormy clouds hiding the Israelites from ever actually seeing God. In verse 19 there's the auditory imagery of the sound of a trumpet and a terrifying voice that no one could endure. These sounds sounds created fear that kept the Israelites from ever trying to approach God. So the Israelites were kept from seeing God and then they were too afraid to even try to approach him. The overall emphasis is to create fear and a sense of distance between mankind and God. Israel and you and I were meant to know and to understand that there's an infinite distance between us and God, that they and that we could never overcome by ourselves. This is a common view that we have of God, that people have of God to this day. The view that God is sitting up in heaven on his throne, far away from the troubles of this world, separate and distant from us. And a lot of this is true of God. He is holy and other separated from the creation that he himself created. He is terrifying. The writer of the Hebrews says he's a com- consuming fire in verse 29. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But this is just one aspect of God. For he's also loving and kind, full of grace and mercy. And he has revealed himself to us in a new way in Jesus Christ. Which brings us to the mountain that we have come to. In verse 22, we have that beautiful contrast word, but. But, says the writer, of all that is, all all of that is the old covenant. And we have now a new one. We haven't come to that terrifying mountain, but rather we've come to something else. Look at verses 22 to 24 again with me. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Straight away we are lifted up out of the darkness and the gloom. We're brought into the heavenly realms to what only can be described as a heavenly celebration. As a fear and obscurity of Mount Sinai, the Old Covenant gives way to life and joy in the New Covenant. The distance that is felt at Mount Sinai has been turned into a gathering and closeness. There's this multitude of different people and, and beings, there's innumerable angels, there's assembly of the firstborn, the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and at the center of all of this is Jesus where Moses once stood terrified as a mediator of the Old Covenant, Jesus now stands as a mediator of the New Covenant, speaking a better word, a word that does not terrify, but a word that saves. This description of Mount Zion is what believers experience now spiritually, through our union with Christ. But it's also something that we are looking forward to. For those who have faith in Jesus Christ, we can now approach God. We can now come to him and we can speak directly to him without fear. We are numbered among those who are in the assembly, that is the church, of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. We have Jesus as our mediator of a new covenant which is established through his sprinkled blood, which is much better than a covenant established through Moses and the blood of bulls and goats. What the author is saying is in effect that, as believers in Christ, every spiritual blessing is ours in Him right now. And these blessings are eternal. Nothing can rob us of such rich assurance. Like the heavenly multitude, our names are enrolled in heaven. We're citizens of an eternal kingdom. And we are brought into a new relationship with God. We no longer have to approach God in fear and trepidation. For Jesus has made a way for us to come to the living God, that we might join in the celebration of the wedding feast of the Lamb. Praise be to God. But, again, we need to be careful. We're not to take our privilege for granted. The blessings we receive from God's hand through Jesus Christ should not lead us to be arrogant. As the writer of this letter now warns us, stating that we should not refuse to listen to the one who speaks a better word than Abel. Look at verses 25 and 27 with me. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will they escape if we reject, if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken that is, the things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Because of the great blessing and privileges of being a part of this heavenly celebration, we have an even greater responsibility to listen attentively to God when he speaks. We need to be careful to not ignore or, worse than that, to reject God's final and ultimate revelation of himself in his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord the writer picks up on this trembling theme of the Israelites and talks about a future shaking of all things. When God speaks again, which will be at Jesus' second coming. This idea of things being shaken is a metaphor that refers to the coming judgment of God. This is a time when Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. I just exited out of my word document. Forgive me. This is a time when Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead and he'll come to shake up the whole world and remove the things that can be shaken. Now the writer of the Hebrews is quoting from the Old Testament from the book of Haggai chapter 2 where God promises the decisive removal of all those who would oppose God's uh, announced plan. Royal thrones will be overturned, the kings and powerful armies will be removed while God will establish his chosen servant. That's what's going on in Haggai chapter 2. And in effect, he's saying that there's a time coming when justice will prevail, when evil will be dealt with, when God will remove all the things of this world that do not belong to him and that are not part of his kingdom, when everything that is built upon the sand will be washed away. And all that remains is that which is built upon the foundation of the solid rock, who is Jesus Christ our Lord brothers and sisters in christ do not take your salvation for granted listen to god when he speaks through his word and by his spirit so that you might not be shaken by god or by the troubles of this life lastly this whole passage culminates with a final encouragement look at verses 28 and 29 again with me therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The good news is that in Jesus we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Our salvation, our future, our hope is secure, because it's not based upon our own works or our own efforts, but upon that chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have great reason to rejoice. We have much to be grateful for, for by God's mercy and grace, we've been brought into his kingdom. We've been invited into that great heavenly celebration. We are enrolled in heaven right now. And although we wait for the party to physically get started, we are numbered among the, the church of the firstborn in heaven. The Christian life should be a continual Easter celebration, a feast overflowing with abundance, celebrating the blessings we now have in Jesus Christ. And while we are celebrating at that feast, we are to worship and serve the living God. This doesn't just mean that you get dressed up in your Sunday best and you come to the Advent each week, though that's a good idea and I want you to come back each week. But rather, your whole life should be a life of worship and service to God in response to the blessings that we have received from Him. To worship or to serve God acceptably means that we regard every aspect of our lives as an expression of our devotion to Him. Worship is not limited to prayer and praise in a congregational context, but our words and our actions that flow from the true true gratitude that we have. That is the worship that is pleasing to God. So brothers and sisters in Christ, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festival gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worships, worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let us pray. Dear loving Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for the salvation we have received in Jesus Christ, that through him we now may approach you without fear or trepidation, but in great boldness. We thank you that through him we are counted among those who are in heaven, that we have every spiritual blessing in him right now. We thank you that because our salvation is based upon him, it cannot be shaken. And though the troubles of life might come Our kingdom will will prevail and we will never be shaken. And Father, we ask that you would remind us of these great truths, that you would uh, work within us by your Holy Spirit, that we might be grateful for all that you have given us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.